0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito
1: to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Year's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips.
0: See official rules at frito Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The only podcast. I am your co-host Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Tuesday, August 23rd. And
1: you can pretty much watch the Big Ten anywhere now? Like in the world. (laughs) It's overtaking, you know, the English, English Premier League. It's coming for you.
0: It's 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 really insane. Like not only can you watch it anywhere because everything's going to be able to basically be streamed now, but like it's going to be a real struggle to figure out which network your game is showing on. We're going to need one of these like mega graphics. Like we need somebody like Tim Burke to put together like a big ten mega graphic every single week just to figure out like what channel do I need to be watching? And the reason for this is because. Basically, every network got a piece of the Big Ten uh, yes. through 2029-2030, t- 20, which is a real year.
1: Yeah, we figured as co-commissioners, why not everyone get a piece of the pie? Yeah. Let's uh, spread the wealth. You can't hide from Rutgers Northwestern. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> It's coming for you on your team. It is the
0: boogeyman. It
1: will find you. It'll be on one of these networks uh, <laughs> through, through the next seven years even even peacock got in on the deal like oh, we were man. just we were handing out to everyone we could weren't we, we were, we're like lloyd lloyd christmas Yep. handing out uh,
0: ious on the stairs of the hotel here
1: you go here you go it
0: uh
1: <laughs> it was such a big deal that um c- cbs and, and nbc are each each paying 350 million dollars a year for their big 10 packages uh Overall, this is going to be about a seven billion dollar deal over the next seven years. You boys came through. I don't know what to yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. You're you're welcome.
0: I I saw something that like the Big Ten is now making more money in media rights than like several professional correct leagues. It is.
1: And I was like half kidding when I said it's coming for the EPL, like because the the next piece is Kevin Warren. I think even stated. Um, like in that one GIF where the guy's like, I think we're not done yet. He's still <laughs> expanding. He said essentially still looking at growing the league and named off even five teams, Notre Dame, Washington, Oregon, uh, Cal, and I don't know if I'm missing somebody else. But the bigger piece is maybe maybe Man City. Maybe the EPL is right. going to get absorbed by uh, the Big Ten. We're, it's growing at an exponential rate. Tottenham,
0: Tottenham will be coming to East Lansing someday soon. <laughs> I think it's really interesting that beca- because you know you mentioned those teams, but you've also heard rumors that UCLA might be getting some cold feet.
1: Well, yeah, no, they're not. And <laughs> it's uh, the fifth team was Stanford. Sorry. Ah, okay. Were- the reason is because University of California in Los Angeles is part of the California you know, educational uh, system, and they did not provide a clearance of any kind because this had to be a top secret type of deal because it's a publicly funded university uh, there's some politics involved, but at the end of the day, money talks and so. They yeah, they didn't do it the right way and yeah, they're going to get their hands slapped, but like UCLA and the Big 10 will will make this go away with money. And and I think that's unfortunately or unfortunately the way a lot of the world works is they have a lot of
0: money to You go throw
1: around. money at a problem, sometimes it goes away. Most of the time. I mean sometimes it doesn't, but this is one of those things where it's like USC as much as they are rivals with UCLA, they, they kind of, it works because they're together. You know, um, you can't just have one team in a conference from LA. Like, you really need to make it a, you got to play both of them when you fly out. Well, it
0: doesn't make sense. I think from the Big Ten's perspective, you can't just have one team in California. Right. And it's- your next furthest west team is Nebraska. Like, it's just not going to work. So, it's not surprising to hear. Those um, those uh, other schools specifically that were mentioned. I mean, those other schools not only in California, but like you said, Washington and Oregon. I mean, it seems like the logical, you know, next step for the Big Ten, and, and it's it's an interesting, you know, uh, iteration on the dominoes that we've kind of seen set up previously. There have been all that talk about, you know, does Oregon go to the ACC of all places or absorbed into the Big Twelve? It's pretty pretty telling that I believe Oregon even representation even met with uh, some folks from the Big Ten in Chicago this past weekend. So um, yep. they are clearly angling at trying to make their way in here, anyway possible.
1: Yeah, finally took Phil Knight's cold call. Took a little, <laughs> but they did. It take was probably me. an accident, but they answered the call. Um, and I think the other uh, quick piece is we've talked about, you know, how does this continue to grow, and we've we've sort of thrown around the idea of you know, the two major conferences, an expanded playoff champion from each side, plays for the title. I think the next piece that you're starting to see here is when you restructure, you also can, we've talked about this too, is a new governing body. And, yeah. and I think the big piece here, that's going to kind of make a lot of sense, hopefully for, for a lot of people is that if with a media rights deal like this, how can you provide and redistribute not just the funds to each university but to the players themselves and, mm-hmm. and can you put together some sort of you know name image like this is allowed now you know what what is gonna allow this where, where you could pass through not just for football players but anyone that's playing on these networks a trick you know a pass through payment to the players and now you got you know like a real you've got a real thing at that point you're paying really paying players not just saying they have the opportunity to pay players but you're like really paying players you're a functioning league like now you can start to talk about salary you know even paying players salaries not just through the uh pass through of the media mm-hmm. rooms, but actual salary it, it just opens up the the conversation to a real league outside of amateur athletics which i think is something we're all trying to wrap our heads around. So is, this is just the yeah. step one of 50, but but a major one at that.
0: It's interesting to think, I mean, you know, not to dive too far, too much further in, but um, what that could do as a competitive advantage for the Big Ten when oh, yeah. it comes to things like recruiting and exactly. transfer portal and all of that.
1: Well, and that's the whole point, right? Is we talked about it last pod in the pod before, when you start to have this amount of money and you start, you don't have to start asking people to do things, you get to start telling people how it's going to be and rightly or wrongly. And and you can say, maybe we don't do it this way. Maybe we do it this way. And and if we do it this way, because everything revolves around getting a better product and more money is if we're able to guarantee more money to the players that play on the teams in our leagues, we're going to get the better players. If those are the options and I'm a player, where do I go? The one where I'm going to get a guaranteed salary from media pass-through rights, maybe even a salary from the team, or I'm going to go to the to a team that's going to give me an NIL deal. Possibilities. It's pretty obvious, right? So, you know, down the down the line. But then at the same time, this is a seven year contract. That's, seven years is is also a long time, but not in the same way. Like this is happening in my estimation within that seven year term is these things can start to happen so yeah. the the landscape is changing in front of our eyes but um you know i think at the same time you can still have a fun quirky product which that we fell in love with college football but in, in college sports in general it's just going to look a little different that's and, what,
0: but here's the thing that sport that quirkiness, that weirdness, none of that's going away. These are still guys that are like 18 years old, 19, 20 years yeah. old, that are going to make bit, like dumb plays and yeah. do weird stuff because it's it's not changing. It's the context in which it takes place. And yet, you know what? You might ultimately see maybe some of the top teams be I don't know maybe a little bit more streamlined in a way because they are so much more talented like maybe fewer upsets but also it's not like it's not like these best teams haven't been getting the best players and having the spotlight shown on them the brightest forever it's just a matter of you know it does this skew things and make it maybe more more things happen on the extremes i i don't know but i think what it's it, it's fascinating to think about and it's like also uh one last thing and then we'll move on like the same people that get upset about this are the same people that said free agency would kill, you know, the NFL. are the same people that said you can't realign and add schools from the East coast and Nebraska. Like, like it, every time something happens, the rest of the landscape catches up it, it, and everything's fine. The world goes around, you watch the games. So I, I think for people who are getting upset about it, I think I've said this for a while now. Just like, just accept it. A, there's nothing you can do about it. And B, it's like it, it's it's just better to roll with the punches and become a fan of this sport.
1: As as the because Big the game's ten, not changing. You're Sorry. right. No, as the Big Ten co commissioners, you can either get on board with what we're doing or get out. Yeah is what just, we're telling you yeah yeah <laughs> but, like it or
0: get the hell out of my office but, but our I, office
1: i will say this here you know there is something to be said we've talked about it before too in our past episodes keep saying that but I, I just feel bad for people who listen and they're like we've already heard this um uh, <laughs> the, the 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 next piece is kind of new you know people are very afraid that you know the regionality of the game is, is the reason for the fun and quirkiness. You have to have hundreds of years old rivalries to kind of build the hate and, and that makes the things relevant, right? And that's, that's totally true. But the good news for you, listener, is that you are a part of a, a program and a conference that will do everything it can to keep those, uh, regardless of how many teams are added, those, those old, old rivalries secured. And it'll and do that because people watch them. It's all, uh, you know, about capitalism in, as, as it relates to the growth of this sport. They're following the money. Um, is it always the right thing? I, I don't know. But for Michigan State and the Big Ten, it'll work out for you as a fan because you're not going to lose the game against Michigan. You're not going to lose the, the protected land. You're not going to lose the games that matter the most to you. Right. So many people watch them. And that's why they just-
0: Do you care if we don't play Northwestern, but once every six years, do you like, like, honestly, like, if that's, what's bugging you about all of this, then I suggest you just stop yelling at the clouds and just like, maybe stop watching the
1: game. Or just watch reruns. And and I'll tell you that as, as we move forward, we've seen advances in scheduling, you know, getting a bit more creative instead of stodgy. The -hmm. pods are coming out. Like that'll happen in 2023 schedule oh, yeah. it's going to change potentially even on a you know year-over-year year basis instead of scheduling things through 2033 you know I, I think right. the, the game itself is evolving a bit and I and I think it's okay for that to happen it's going to be evolving in a good way too not just chasing the money so or it'll be going in parallel paths but you're in a good spot as a Spartan fan Absolutely.
0: Another reason you're in a good spot as a Spartan fan, John, because Mel Tucker is simply not done on the recruiting trail. Uh, That's true. Welcome, your newest Michigan State commit, Jalen Thompson, four star defensive end out of Detroit Cass Tech, committed yesterday. Um, admittedly, we are kind of speculating in a way, but we, he's announcing today when we're recording this, and we are fully expecting him to commit to Michigan State. So if he did, we're going to sound really smart. If not, just another another great moment you can tell all your friends about from the only podcast. Um, but Thompson, we've talked about him here before. It's it's once again a reminder of just the difference in a Mel Tucker approach to recruiting versus a any other coach that Michigan State's ever had, aside from maybe Nick Saban approach to recruiting. This kid is, first of all, let's just talk about him. He's uh, an edge player, he's listed at 6'3", 245, probably a little bit bigger than that right now. He checks in at the 197th best player in the country. That's a .09229 on the 24-7 sports composite for you real hardcore recruiting nerds out there. Um, and, uh, like I said, it's from cast tech. He typically like this type of recruit. I don't think it should be like undersold how big of a deal it is to get Jalen Thompson. I think those who are following Michigan state's recruiting class this year are very fixated on, you know, the five stars, the David Hicks, the pancake honchos, et cetera. But Thompson is a massive get he's now the fourth best player in this class. The second, uh, uh, by the way, three of those top four are, edge, are defensive linemen or pass rushers. Yep. And the fourth is Stanton Ramel, who is yep. an offensive lineman. You love to see that out of a class. But Thompson, just a, a, a phenomenal get. Um, second best player in the state of Michigan behind Dante Moore, who's going to Oregon to play quarterback. I, what else is there to say, John? Is this the Brandon Jordan effect coming into play?
1: It is, and like you said, Stan Rammel, another another one of those top three of the four. Both Stanton and Jalen, uh, maybe lower rated, not just on the the boards, but Michigan State's board, and still able to pull them in. That's a that's a testament to both the program um, when when you can take Jalen Thompson when you are ready to. I think that's what what happened here, and that's I think that's a wow for me that mm-hmm. that that could happen, I think the also piece is this was Thomas Wilcher's um uh, former player, if I'm not mistaken um this was a guy that that Michigan State brought in to recruit Detroit, and four of the top fourteen commit four of the fourteen commits are from Michigan. The bigger piece uh of that is that you look at Detroit, you know kind of the last hot or area of of true talent at the skill positions. And into the state of Michigan and university of Michigan has two guys who are responsible for recruiting that territory. And, and you can, you still held them off. You held off Ohio state, Penn state, amongst others, Cincinnati to, to get this guy. The 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 biggest piece here, I think for me is you held it within the state. That's important at a a hugely important school within the state, Detroit cast tech, which produces division one talent every year. And you got him despite kind of keeping him warm um, while you are were waiting for the rest of your board to play out. And in past years, this guy would have been Michigan State's one of, if not the best recruit of the class. Mm-hmm. This year, it's near the top, absolutely. And he will be a contributing player on, on future teams. That's awesome. It, it's just, as we talked about, Tuck's going big whale fishing. And, and this one is one that he, I think, expected to get uh, if if all else, if he couldn't get, and you know, the bigger whales. And that's just a testament to awesome recruiting. Like, for, in my opinion, you can you can land a guy that's a top 200 kid and not have given him the full court press. That's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. And not only that, but doing so when his final four is maybe talked about this before, too. His final four was Michigan State, Ohio State, where he visited and was like actively recruited, Penn State, and Cincinnati, a team that just made the college football playoff. Uh, yep. That's like, I. <laughs> It, it is every single time a kid commits now it crystallizes just how impressive, uh, you know, Mel Tucker has has been on the recruiting trail because this is this is like you said, John, huge get did it against at a premium position from a premium school against premium competition. It does not get a lot better uh, than landing Jalen Thompson and like you said, I'm uh, you kind of kept him warm. And he, I think the other exciting part about this is if you now, like you said, you go look at the the class itself. The way this class is built is extremely exciting and indicative of the way that MSU is is kind of trying to build this team from the inside out. Job, DePape, Ramel, and now Thompson, the top four, all you know uh, up in the trenches. Behind that, it's Jordan Hall, who's probably yeah. going to be you know a multi-year yeah. starter. Behind them, you've got Cole Dillinger, who's another to off- Dillinger, an offensive lineman. So. It's they are building this team in a very specific way and in the way that the best the best teams get built. So um, welcome to the team, Jalen. Um, as always, John, it's probably important to tie back to our uh, our goals here of the top fifteen class. Are we closer?
1: We are. You know, right now it's ranked twentieth overall, but we say, don't worry about that. We're get, worry about average recruit ranking. Right now, this pushes Michigan State to sixteenth best average recruit. A ranking in 2023 and uh, 18th if you include Texas A&M and Ole Miss who have higher ratings but with less commits so we'll see how they they uh pan out I don't know how much bigger MSU's class is going to get I think the more guys now that are on the board you're it's going to be trying to flip people something mm-hmm. that Mark D'Antonio wasn't as um focused on trying to do And, and I think I've, we've heard that Mel Tucker will ask a player after they commit somewhere, if if they're open to him still being recruited. So there is a respect there. They say, yeah, then it's game on, right? (laughs) So they say, no, you respect it and move on. But, you know, you're right there on the cusp of a top 15 average recruit ranking. And, you know, the next step is, is, is ensuring you have a solid year ahead of us. And so I think a lot of that hinges on a position group preview of the offensive line. Do you feel like that's? Mm.
0: Yes, that was a wonderful transition. Um, You could make a very real argument that this is the group, aside from the secondary, in need of the most improvement from a year ago. And it flies in the face. It seems counterintuitive in a way of a team that just had record-breaking offensive performances from multiple players, um, that the offensive line would end up being something that you genuinely are worried about going into the, the following season. Uh, but that is that is kind of the case. And one of the reasons for that is there is some serious attrition from last year. Five players, all of whom contributed in some way, shape, or form, uh, are no longer with the team. The The, the tackles – AJR Curie obviously was drafted. Kevin Jarvis is in camp with the Lions, I believe, still. Luke Campbell, Blake Buter, and Matt Allen, all part time contributors. But that's, I don't care who you are. You could even be Alabama. You lose five contributors along any position group. That's a lot to replace. Now, are any of these guys, were any of them, you know, superstars? Probably not. But again, when it comes to functional depth, offensive line is, a, is maybe the place that you, you want to have it. Um, so those are the guys that left. Now, in terms of the guys who, who uh, MSU added, much like last year, uh, added a, a big name from the transfer portal. Uh, last year, it was Jarrett Horst, who was, when he played, obviously really effective tackle, looking like he's going to start at left tackle again this year. But the name they added this year was Brian Green. And Green's a really interesting story. He's a former walk-on from Washington State, but was a highly sought-after transfer. Um, he appeared in 30 games as a part-time offensive lineman with 10 starts uh, at both center and right guard. He's listed at 6'3", 300 I don't know if he's six foot three or three hundred pounds, but um, he was obviously a really effective player. In has a ton of experience pass blocking uh, in playing for Washington State because that's practically all they do. He um, was Pac-12 honorable mention at center in 2021, and uh, is probably looking like at a a, a minimum a contributor, if not a starter, for this team. So, um, the interesting part about this team again, it's not much like we talked about with the secondary where you can tell how Mel Tucker and the the coaching staff was feeling about the performance a year ago. Very similar vibes for the offensive line. Lots of additions uh, in last year's recruiting class, uh, four to be exact. And that comes on the heels of another class that I believe was four deep as well. So, um, and we just talked about it with this upcoming class, a lot of offensive linemen involved. So a clear emphasis on adding talent there. Um, those guys are mostly going to be depth players this year, which is a good thing because the starting five, which should probably be the starting five is going to be almost entirely seniors, maybe the only junior being Spencer Brown. So if you go left to right, Jared Horst, probably it, there's kind of the sure things are Jared Horst at left tackle, JD Duplain at left guard, Nick Samac at center, and then probably Spencer Brown at right tackle the interesting spot will be right guard because I think you'll see a rotation of green uh and probably Matt Carrick, who's coming back. He, he was hurt towards the end of last year. I think he missed a decent amount of the season, uh, but is apparently healthy and practicing. If he's healthy, he will definitely be a, a part-time player, but that's probably your surefire playing group. Yep. In and of itself, I'm not terribly worried. I don't think this is a – a sieve like we've seen before from offensive lines i don't think they're holding up against some of the better defensive lines in the country either but um i do think it's important that they are good because if they're not there is uh almost no proven
1: depth behind them it gets a little scary pretty quickly but you worry about that when you have to and here's i'm going to give you some good news and some scary news the <laughs> good the good news is Michigan State has a real strength and conditioning program. So correct. there's that. In the past, we saw a bunch of O-linemen get hurt all the time, and, and we blamed it on the football gods. I don't know if we should have. I'm just going to leave that there. I don't know who. I'm not going to name names, but I don't know if we should have. I don't know if it was all bad luck. Let's just put it that way. I think when you combine that, a, a real solid strength and conditioning program with <clears throat> the fact that you now understand what this offensive line coach is going, was, is trying to do with guys that have been there a while now. This will be the third year, second for Horace, third for everyone else, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big deal. And I think there's also something to be said about, uh, I was going to bring it back to basketball because can't help myself. When, when Izzo has less players to play, then there's less rotation crap to worry about. you just like, yeah. here, here are my guys you're my best guys and they're going to play. And yeah, do you want to get reps to other people? Of course, ideally in situations that are very tense, but at the same time, it's like, I got five, six, potentially seven guys that I'm comfortable road playing. Let's play them and see how it goes. You know, you don't have to, I feel like in years past, it was like, everyone's played every position and they're all flexible. And it's like, yeah, but like you have five guys. Cause if you don't, what's the old adage? If you have, two quarterbacks you don't have one well if you have 10 offensive linemen you don't have five like who are your five and i feel like right you mentioned there's going to be five that emerge and if they stay healthy and i say that because you hope it's not bad luck anymore you hope that because of the strength and conditioning program you might have five guys that that can you know gel together as the season progresses now not stupid but injuries do happen in in I think that's where you were mentioning things get a little dicey. You're going to be leaning on some some redshirt freshmen or true freshmen, <laughs> whether you want to or yeah. not. Um, if if there were to be injuries, so um, welcome to the Big Ten, I guess is the yeah. <laughs> it's just the reality of it, and and MSU yep. gets to contend at a higher level once they start to fill all the position groups in the same way they've done you know, maybe the defensive line and linebackers like we talked about in past apps.
0: You it, you know, you say that you don't want to rotate guys and you do want like a solid, rock solid five. I mean, that's the dream scenario. I think this year, what I would really like to see in, for a variety of reasons is MSU to get up big in some games so that these backups can get some real-time reps. I yeah. mean, it is because no matter what happens this year, after this year, you are in all likelihood unless some of these guys exercise the COVID season which is possible i mean you're replacing probably as many as five guys from that six-man playing group so massive overhaul for the second straight year now these guys that are backups ethan boyd dallas fincher uh even some of the true freshmen like ashton leppo gino vandermark who isn't the true freshman he's a redshirt freshman um, Braden Miller, the freshman tackle. There's there's a lot of guys that have a, that were highly recruited that are, you know, like you said, to get a little bit of time in this in this S and C program, should be ready to roll. But in 2023, you're talking about a lot of new faces. No matter what, I would hope that they do get the chance to play a little bit this year so that when the time comes they are they are truly competing for for playing time cuz that is going to be such a mess that's going to be a um, little prediction here going into next season 2023 the talking point is going to be replacing a lot of guys on the offensive line so prepare yourselves accordingly um
1: yeah. we'll cross that bridge when we get to it right
0: yeah thank goodness um all right john should we take a quick break here and then come back and talk through some more positions perfect Great. Here
1: we go. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com.
0: Then we are back. No offense to the offensive linemen, but I think we've talked enough about the ugly positions. It's time to talk about the fun ones. We're going to start with the running backs, John. Um, is there anybody – I mean, I didn't really pay much attention last year. Is there is there any reason why we should be worried about uh, somebody who may or may not be on the team anymore?
1: Yes, Connor Hayward's <sighs> lot, but, you know, attrition is going to be painful, and it's going to be hard to escape, you know. I think. <clears throat> Beyond him, you're looking around the room and you're like, okay, we can probably easily fill Kenneth Walker the third shoes with a couple transfers, but Connor Hayward, yeah. that one's going to be tough for me. Yeah, I mean, listen, Walker came from Wake Forest.
0: How hard can it be to find <laughs> somebody that's, that's that good? All right, that's enough. All joking aside, as much as it does hurt to lose Connor Hayward, who is, I suppose, technically a running back. Whatever, kind of a tight. He's 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 whatever he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenneth Walker the third no longer a spartan in in practice always a spartan in our hearts um this is probably the question most people are asking certainly the the those of us who don't follow the the team as closely like like we do um this is the number one storyline around michigan state kenneth walker the third now a seattle seahawk um how does michigan state replace that well the answer is an old tried and true tactic um go to the transfer portal uh michigan state Double dipped this year at this position grabbing Jarek Broussard from Colorado and Jalen Berger from Wisconsin. Um, Very different players uh, for those who who are not familiar. Jarek Broussard was the COVID uh, season pac 12 player of the year, Colorado under Mel Tucker. Um, So obviously a lot of familiarity there. Short guy, a little bit more explosive. Um, Honestly, isn't that different from Kenneth Walker, I think, in terms of his style, from what I've seen. Um, not saying to expect that, but Broussard, a very talented guy in his own right. And then there's also Jalen Berger. Berger was a huge recruit. Uh, again, you're seeing some past connections. Said Khalif uh, it was his main recruiter at Wisconsin. One of the better recruits Wisconsin's gotten in a skill position um, in quite some time. Uh, ran into a little bit of trouble there from what I understand, and uh, left the team. Khalif sought him out, brought him in, and he is uh, he's one of those get-off-the-bus all-stars. I mean, this dude looks like a freak. He is built like a freight train and runs hard. So I think what's interesting in bringing these two guys in is that A, they're both very talented, but B, uh, they kind of represent different styles uh, in terms of running. And it'll be interesting to see um, how they're paired up and, you know, in addition to them, you've still got Elijah Collins left. Jordan Simmons is still around Harold Joyner and Davion Prim, although Davion Prim apparently getting some run at cornerback recently. Um, But you have a little bit more depth. I mean, if you look at this, this now, Broussard, Berger, Collins and Simmons all have significant college football experience. I think one thing you saw last year when Walker went down was you didn't really have that, Uh, maybe you had some experience, but not necessarily dynamic experience. Whereas this year um, you've got, you've got a bit of a cushion built in with this group. So, I mean, you're losing Walker, but it's, I don't, John, tell me if I'm crazy. I don't think it's outrageous to think that you can get between these, this group of players, specifically Broussard and Berger. It's not crazy to me to think you can get similar production to what you got from Kenneth Walker a year ago.
1: Yeah, I think the only major difference is, do you have a home run hitter? Mm-hmm. You know, Kenneth Walker was a home run hit hitter every time he, he could have been in the one yard. We watched it against Rutgers, 94 yards, bang. You know, and a lot of it, he was doing it himself. You know, you go back to explosive plays, rushing plays. Michigan State led the conference in 20-plus yard rushing gains with 25, more than yep. Michigan, more than Ohio State, more than Wisconsin. You know they're right there at thirty thirty plus yards gained. They were they were fourth, and, um, the, and and I think the bigger the takeaway here is, yeah, you want a home run hitter. Every, you want to get off, <laughs> when you're a little nervous about your offensive line. Don't make them do more than they have to. Just score right. But and sustained drives are the hardest part of football. Can you have more depth here, and that's great. I think you're you're going to have. More opportunities to do more to um, to do more on on throughout the series. Let me try and explain. Jordan Simmons came in on the third drive every single game last year, and those drives uh, did not produce nearly as many points as when Kenneth Walker was in. Duh, right? I think you don't have a drop-off drive anymore. I think mm-hmm. each one is is going to um, there's there's a replacement level back there, and you can scheme towards that person, whoever is the running back at that time. You can have multiple, by the way, back there. You know, you can be doing more things than maybe we've seen. Last year, it became evident that you just needed one feature back. Kenneth Walker was the guy. You don't need to decoy him or anything. Now, you have multiple guys that can do multiple things. You can mess around with the defense uh, by by putting people in different places. You have, more, you have a different type of flexibility with this group. And I wouldn't count out Elijah Collins as a near 1,000-yarder rusher, you know, back in 2019, which feels forever ago. If if he is at the bottom of your depth chart, you are in a very, very good place. Because in 2019, he was the top of your depth chart. So I think there's just perspective on all of it, too. Yeah, I would
0: agree. I mean, again, like you said, if he's your third or fourth dude, you're, you're in pretty good shape depth-wise. Um, I think one quick thing to point out before we move on to the pass catchers is actually that Jerick Broussard can really catch the ball. Um, I think he might add an, an aspect to this offense that was a little underutilized not because Kenneth Walker couldn't catch they just didn't, that's just not how they thought it was the best way to get him the ball so I think it'll be interesting to see if maybe these two or four guys are utilized a little bit differently and also it'll be interesting to see if Harold Joyner really steps into that Connor Hayward role I mean Hayward became a really integral part of the offense to the point that he Again, got drafted. Um, and Joyner is no offense to my my largest son, Joyner is like ten times the athlete, <laughs> like just pure athleticism yeah. that Hayward has. So uh, he, he's honestly kind of under-delivered on his career uh, since being a really highly regarded recruit out of uh, you know that d- d- committed to Auburn way back when. Um, so I think he he has a real opportunity to step in and, and make a big difference here. It shouldn't
1: be shouldn't be overlooked. You said something that was interesting, you know, Broussard's when you can get him in space, that's where he excels, right? Kenneth Walker, like, yeah, they could have thrown to him. But at the same time, was like he can create space in a phone booth. So that's why they didn't have to throw, you know, felt like they didn't have to throw to him as much. You're going to try and get Broussard in in a space. Jalen Berger is going to be a different type of runner. He's going to (laughs) be looking for contact. You know, you're just going to see different types uh, of it's just completely different runner. For all everyone here is a different one. And I think, you know, what you do with those, that's where Jay Johnson's gonna be, say, like, all right buddy, what are you gonna dial like what are you gonna do to play to everyone's strengths here and maximize every single possession and, and down? And that's it, it may take a little bit to, for everyone to find their footing, but that's why it's good that you're playing a couple Mac teams to start.
0: Yes, it's, it's good to get these guys comfortable. And, and again, you, you might have to get more creative because we know that offensive line's got a lot of new faces. But um, personally, this is a group that that I think we'll be watching very closely, and that will be it'll be obvious if it's going to be a, okay or if it's going to be scary ours pretty quickly. Um, the next group, though, what we're calling the pass catchers, that's our wide receivers and tight ends. Um, this group did not lose a lot from last year. Uh, in fact, the arguably brought back, maybe aside from Xavier Henderson, the, the most important player, uh, on the team that could have realistically left. And that's Jaden Reed. Um, he, he came back after probably could have gotten drafted in the top four or five rounds of the draft this year, but decided to come back for a senior season, which is extremely exciting because, uh, Jalen Naylor, did not decide to do that. He had decided to go to the NFL where he was a six round pick. Uh, he's currently doing pretty well from what I understand with the, the Vikings in the preseason, but he is, he is a loss certainly for this team. He was a staple of the receiving corporate for three straight years. So he is gone. Uh, Reed is one of many key returnees. But uh, before we talk about them and talk about the newcomers, there are really three that it's worth calling your attention to because they're probably the three who will likely play. Uh, the first is what is in all likelihood you're starting tight end and that's Daniel Barker the senior transfer from Illinois. Um, kind of a it, this is the beauty of the transfer portal. You can get guys that have just incredible experience at you know a Big 10 school. Barker's the leading tight end receiver in Illinois school history. Now, you might think like oh Illinois football whatever, but that's a university that's played football for a really long time and has had some years where they were quite good on offense. So to have that uh, come over and, and potentially add an element that MSU, again, just no shade to Tyler Hunt. No, you know, um, nothing against Trenton Gillison, but Michigan State hasn't had a reliable tight end that could actually do some explosive things on offense. Since Josiah Price. And I think I used the word explosive in Josiah Price in the same sentence for the first time in human history. Um, but Barker could could be a huge addition. The the two other guys to pay attention to, who may not have the same level of impact, are wide receiver Jeremy Bernard. Uh he was a late addition to the class, but a four-star receiver. Uh, I believe played high school football with Caton Hauser, uh, the incoming freshman quarterback was originally committed to washington but flipped like i said towards the national signing day um the type of skill position player that i think people would probably expect you know over the last handful of years would play quickly at michigan state Actually, sort of a sign of depth at this position that he will probably play but i wouldn't expect him to be uh in the top five or six receivers on on this team so that's That's exciting for MSU fans. And then finally, there's the the freshman tight end, two of whom uh, Michigan State added to the class. They added two, Michael Masunas and Jack Nickel. But Nickel is really the the one to call out. Um, He was another flip uh, from Notre Dame. A former Notre Dame signee um, ended up coming to Michigan State. The kid can really block, which isn't the sexiest thing in the world, but is a critical part of any functioning offense. Um, and just to to add to that really quickly, Notre Dame knows their way around really good tight ends. If you want to go look at the history of guys that they've had, it is you'll see a lot of NFL names on there. And um, I believe it's Mitch Mayer. I can't remember his first name. It's Mayer. The tight end now is an absolute freak and probably a first-round pick presuming he stays healthy this year so um, they know what they're doing when it comes to recruiting that position and nickel was a guy that they prioritized and unfortunately for them lost but was michigan state's game so those are the newcomers john what about some of the guys
1: that are coming back so obviously Jaden reed is on every single trophy watch you can find uh, and, and he's just does it all right we saw it all last year really break out your and at a certain point, we got to start asking ourselves, like, is this luck or or can this Mel Tucker got coached a little bit? Because, you know, Jayden Reed was, didn't have any real P5 offers, got him from Western Michigan, and now he's up for the Bolitnikoff Award. Like, that that to me is just kind of a, you know, you can get lucky, but how many times in a row do you get lucky? Because well, you know, right, Kenneth right. Walker, out of nowhere, you know not a top one thousand recruit, saw something everyone else didn't. Jaden Reed went and got him, saw something everyone else didn't. We'll get to the quarterbacks, same thing. I, I think there's there's something there. Obviously Jaden Reed, more about him. It's a guy that is just um a house call waiting to happen. You know, whether he he's a guy I've been trying to give this nickname for a while, um even if you remember in the in years past, but this guy is an uh oh like, when the other team sees <laughs> him get the ball in space, you you say, uh-oh. Like, that's the trouble for you. And because he does it on punt returns, kick returns, um, wide screen bubbles, and then he's he's got the routes down. Like, he just knows what he's doing. And then to make it even worse for opposing defenses, he works out with the quarterback every single day and has since, like, high school. So um, he's got a lot going for him. And then you have Trey Mosley, who has become the trendiest underrated player that now he's, like, overrated. In in Michigan State (laughs) conversations, because everyone's he's just so dang dependable that um, I think that he makes a big jump this year because you talk about maybe losing Jalen Naylor and the big bang plays. um, You're going to have to rely on more intermediate and sure thing uh, to move the chains. And he is that whereas Jalen Naylor, you know, is known to be a bit boomer bust. He's he had the dropsies. You know, he would tend to run before catching sometimes. Trey Mosley has never done that. So uh, you got to feel good about where he fits. And then, you know, there are a couple other guys that have seen. Monterey Foster came on, started three games last year. uh, in the bowl game surprised a lot of folks, I think. People were just like, okay, let's see what he's got. And then he really contributed. And then um, we'd be remiss not to talk about uh, Keon Coleman. Uh, I'll let you take your favorite (laughs) phone.
0: here. Oh, I mean, I love talking about Keon Coleman. I think everybody loves. it. No one loves talking about Keon Coleman more than Keon Coleman, though. So he's one of my favorites. I think. I think if you're looking for honestly across this entire roster, a a, a player that is going to emerge and become an impact player, it's it has to be him. I mean, he is every piece of athlete that you could ever ask for at the position he's big he's fast he can jump out of the gym Um, I think he becomes a a go-to target for uh, Peyton Thorne this year and and the reason I feel very strongly about that is the depth that you just mentioned I mean Jaden Reed is going to command A tremendous amount of attention from any team that they go against um trey mosley is like you said kind of so underrated that he's now overrated in a way but he is as consistent as it comes um and i think montori foster is is pretty explosive in his own right and then you add in daniel barker and you know this is a a deep group of of pass catchers but Reed and Mosley are going to take up a lot of attention, and that's going to leave Keon Coleman one-on-one against corners, and that is bad news athletically for most corners. I don't care if they're from Ohio State or anywhere else. He's as good an athlete as anybody. So um, it's exciting to see this group. We didn't even talk about Malik Carr i mean malik carr is of as athletic a tight end as there as there is and now you've got him and daniel barker competing for time i mean that's good competition and two dudes that can really contribute offensively and on top of that you've got antonio gates jr the true freshman you might recognize his name because his dad was really good at football allegedly <laughs> okay. um and then there's also christian fitzpatrick the louisville transfer who's got a ton of height i mean they're there this is as deep a group i think uh, on this team, as there is on this team which i think is is incredibly exciting especially when you consider that there's some really good running backs back there as well and you know you have a great quarterback uh that's going to be the one distributing the ball but i would say if there's a name to circle on this offense that is potential to be like all conference caliber type of player uh it it's gotta be Keon. I mean, I mean we like like I said, we kinda of poke fun at it and we say he's his own biggest fan, but he's his own biggest fan for a reason because there's a lot to be a fan of at that position. So will not shock me if he uh, is close to the top in a lot of the receiving statistics
1: this year. And if he is, John. Yeah, well, wait, be, wait, wait oh. don't don't your segue was gonna be awesome, but I wanted to give two <laughs> more two more shout outs. Sorry, I ruined it. That's but, fine. So t- and there's two more. Terry Lockett, who's in to time, and um, you mentioned a couple other names already. The, the reason why it's so great is if someone's not – it's not your day, you don't have to rely on them and be like, man, he's got to figure it out between now and the game's over or we're or not going to score, right? They got to get on the same page with the quarterback or we're in trouble. I don't think that's the case. You have enough talent now, depth, at this position group where if it's not someone's day, someone else is going in. Like we, And they have the talent without and losing any uh, replacement-level talent, and that's huge. I don't think MSU's had that for a while. And then we talked about Tyler Hunt. When you talk about an offensive line that um, is a big question mark and you know that Tyler Hunt's the best tight end blocker, you may see him come in to help with them uh, on occasion. Now, he's not the most athletic person, but if Daniel Barker and Malik Carr are still – or if only car is still disinterested in blocking well someone will come in and he might not be the most explosive guy but you got to help out the offensive line where you can especially against some of the most some of these pretty wild pass rushes that are in the big 10 there's some really good ones so i know i burned your segue no, but I'll, that's okay you can do try again if it's still there no the moment is passed. It's Fine. dead. Whatever.
0: I'm not gonna forget. I'm. I am not going to forget i i will not forget that. Just so you're aware. Just so everyone's aware. Um, <laughs> oh God. All right. Anyways, so the quarterbacks, guys. We've saved the best for last. Best? Yeah, probably best. Most important, certainly. Um, as you guys can tell, we sort of got behind on our schedule. We usually pace these out a little bit better, but we're coming up on a season. <laughs> <laughs> we have. We got games to preview. Um, and so we we end our positions position group previous for the year here with the quarterbacks and wrap our podcast up for the day here. Um, Names that left. We'll start there because it's where you're supposed to Uh, Anthony Russo, the, the King who never was um, last year's transfer from temple widely expected to compete for, if not win the quarterback position a year ago, he was beat out by Peyton Thorne. We'll talk about the newcomers later, but this, this is quarterbacks. We don't expect to see them him. Um, Peyton Thorne, uh, out of nowhere. I mean, we, nowhere. we can go through so many different positions from last year. We already talked about Kenneth Walker, Jaden Reed to an extent, um, Drew Beasley. But I, I would argue that maybe aside from Walker, nobody's surprised the way that Thorne did. Uh, he was, I, again, Russo was expected to come in and win this job. Yep. I mean, it, it, you don't. If you're Anthony Russo, you don't transfer to a school coming off a two-win season. If you're in in the Big Ten, if you're not expecting to be the guy. Right. Um, And Thorne just made that impossible. It's all a credit to him because the easy decision for those coaches would have been, let's give this job to Russo. He's been there. He's done that. Thorne Mm -hmm. hasn't. Russo looks the part. Thorne doesn't really in a lot of ways, um, stature-wise. And like I said, Thorne just made it impossible. And all he did was come through and have a record-setting year. I think he threw 27 touchdowns on the year. Um, had his moments of just sheer brilliance. Showed he can run the ball a little bit. I mean, as a, as you look around the country, you know, there's the, the big NFL names. Um, but I don't think there's too many guys that I would rather have coming back that you do you feel really good about. That would I would rank higher than than Peyton Thorn. Um, I think Reed coming back is a huge deal for him. Daniel, the addition of Barker, the addition of these two running backs. I mean, he's. I think maybe you could say about Peyton Thorn that he is, in ways, as good as the players around him allow him to be in some ways because he doesn't have the biggest arm in the world, but he's just cerebral and smart. He didn't make, even though I think he threw over ten interceptions last year, something around that. He didn't make many like super boneheaded plays. And that was in year one as a starter. So I think when you think about what could this junior season for him, his second year at the helm look like, what is improvement? I don't necessarily know that it's 35 touchdowns or that it's, you know, running for more yardage or that it's even necessarily more wins. I just think you can expect to see a more in control quarterback because he's been there. He's done this for a year now, very successfully. He's bringing back a lot of the same toys and he's behind what should be at least as good an offensive line. Um, And he's with an offensive coordinator now who is proven to be pretty, pretty darn creative and fit and and knows how to fit Thorne into his system and fit his system to Thorne. Um, So it's hard to, to, to not be excited about what he could bring to the table and to think this guy can, instead of just managing games, He could probably go win you some games, which we saw him do last year. But I think we can see what I'm hoping for, I guess, a long-winded way of saying it is I'm hoping that the lows aren't so low. I think we saw for a lot of the game against Pitt, I think about Indiana, obviously Ohio State, that floor, that basement, while it wasn't reached a ton, was really, really low. I would like to see that floor rise so that we're not talking about this offense hasn't scored in – three quarters or i think nebraska where the offense didn't score the entire second half i'm looking for that
1: not to happen yep you're right that the whole season the success of this season will be dependent on if peyton floor peyton thorn raises his floor and yep. you you nailed it he's a very solid big 10 quarterback right now he's he's upper tier big 10 quarterback but to be an Michigan State isn't Georgia. They don't have mm-hmm. at every other position, you know, an absolute stud. They still need to have their quarterback be a stud to be a good team. And that means that he has to raise his uh, completion percentage from 60% to a lot higher. When you look at C.J. Stroud, came in and threw 71%. Aiden O'Connell, <laughs> 71%. Um, Tua, came in from Maryland is throwing sixty nine percent. Nice. It's like that now, to be fair, you might say, well, they're dinking and dunking. Not not really. Michigan State, is, you know, Peyton Thorne was throwing for yards per attempt right there with uh more with Maryland um and less than with Ohio State. Now Ohio State had a little bit more explosion um with their wide receivers. Um Purdue was still averaging eight yards an attempt. Michigan State was eight point two. So it's all about that completion percentage, and I don't know if you can afford to lose downs when you don't have a home run hitter uh, running back. You have some really solid running backs that like we just talked about, but do you have a? That's why it's going to be so important for him to not lose downs um, with you know just boneheaded errant passes or 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 things like that. So yeah, that's it. That for me is raise the floor through completion percentage, and the rest should probably take care of itself. Yeah,
0: I think when you look at his season from last year, um, the highlights are really, really high. Yep. I mean, his performance against Miami specifically stands out to me. Uh, 18 of 31, not a great percentage. Like you said, John, could have been better. 261 yards before touchdowns, no picks. Uh, I mean, just a remarkable day in a huge, huge stage. Um, he made great plays against Rutgers. Uh, Maryland, he played great. He played fantastic against Penn State. But if you take out these first three games against Northwestern, Youngstown State, and Miami, again, that's one Big Ten team, one team that was ranked in the top 25, both on the road, and then a, a Youngstown game at home. Everybody plays that kind of game. That's he went he went for nine touchdowns and no picks in those games. On the season, he threw 27 touchdowns and 10 picks. So if you take those first three games out. He only threw 18 touchdowns and 10 picks, which is, like you said, perfectly fine. But I want to see – I don't want to see these stretches of bad play. I look at Indiana and Michigan together. He barely threw for over 300 yards combined in those two games, only one touchdown and four picks. Nebraska Nebraska was a disaster. Um, Ohio State obviously didn't, didn't perform well in that one. And despite the numbers against Pitt, you know, he threw the ball fifty times against Pitt, which is like fifteen times more than threw the rest of the year. Threw for three hundred and fifty-four yards, three touchdowns and a pick, but not even sixty percent of his passes completed. So I would just like to see a step up in consistency. We know he can make all the best plays, but we know he's he's you know, th- there are other times when he can be a little erratic. I think the biggest thing Michigan State fans can ask for, like you said, Jock, is just competency and consistency. And quite honestly. He's going to get challenged quickly on that because the opportunities, I think we're going to know if those floors are going to happen, if those sellers are going to happen as soon as week three on the road at Washington. Again, say what you want about that program. We know they weren't great last year. They should be motivated. It's a home game. It's a new coach. It's a chance to prove himself. Um, I would expect them to be. They're going to be hosting a top 15 team. Like that's a big game, and that's one where if you see Thorn go out and really perform in that one, like he did against Miami, you you got to feel pretty excited.
1: Yeah, I I, I want to qu- quick touch on. If you put yourself in the shoes of Peyton Thorn, wasn't supposed to win the job last year. He does. Comes out there, he's a sophomore, so it's not your team. Even you didn't even know if he were right. going to be a starter much less is not your team comes out there Kenneth Walker home run 75 yards first carry and, he, mm-hmm. and Walker, it becomes the Kenneth Walker show right and it's and it should have been because he's just out of this world well of course as a sophomore put yourself in the shoes of being a sophomore kid and you're like okay well we're in this close game you know Walker he'll win it for us like right. and he, and he did he beat michigan right? like he Walker did do that on occasion there were games where Walker got bottled up and You could totally see Peyton thrown in the huddle thinking, kind of like, someone should do something. It's like, you're the someone. You're that guy. Like, whenever you're at work, you're like, man, someone should do that. It's like, oh, you're him. You're the someone. Oh, shit. to do it. (laughs) And as a sophomore, you're like, you're like, oh, and that, and you watch that happen at halftime of the pit game. You're like, hey, buddy, there's no Kenneth Walker. The only way we're in this game is if you throw the ball and we're going to let you throw it 50 times. And he's like, oh, shit. Okay. And won the game. He beat a pit defense. That wasn't sitting anybody like don't get it confused. That was a good defense and he beat them fast forward. Now you're a junior. Now you're upperclassman. Now you're a captain. Now it's your team. He's not looking around saying, all right, who's going to win the game? Is Kenneth Walker going to win the game? He now knows that it's his job to not force it. And they're going to be looking to him to win the game. That's a big mental jump for me. So, um, I think that's going to be a really big deal. You'll see it in week three. Hopefully, you get through week one and week two without any hiccups, and then you start to see is this Peyton Thorne's team, and what does that look like? And and that to me is going to be a big bellwether. And then the next two games aren't easy. We'll talk about the season preview, um, but to not lose any of those tricky games, it's going to be because Peyton Thorne won you them, in my opinion. Absolutely. So You want to talk about the backups real quick and then round us out?
0: Yeah. The backups this year, um, everybody always gets excited about thinking about the line of succession. Who's next when it comes to the quarterbacks. Um, There are are four quarterbacks currently on the roster. Uh, Peyton Thorne, we've talked about. The backup right now, excuse me, is looking like Noah Kim. Um, A D'Antonio era recruit, a Virginia Tech flip. He's looked fun in some spring games. Um, he's sitting there as a redshirt sophomore, probably, the, honestly, the likely backup this year. Um, his backup right now is Hamp Fay, who was the quarterback in the first pandemic-shortened recruiting cycle for Mel Tucker. Um, and behind him is the true freshman, Katon Hauser. Now, that last name, I think, is the most important of the group because I think it influences what happens with these other two. Um, Houser's the Houser's the real deal. And this kid was a Boise State commit that Mel Tucker and and Jay Johnson pulled away um, from Nevada. He, like I said, had teammates with Jeremy Bernard, but this dude was a lead eleven, legit four star, um, and is is by all accounts really impressing already as a true freshman it stands to reason that he's probably the guy that's realistically the next multi-year starter. I think we've, we've said this certainly before that like an ideal quarterback kind of cycle at a school is you have two to three year starters and yep. you just keep cycling those through. It's not you're changing every single year. And in all reality, Hauser's probably for the health of the program, it's, it's best that he's the guy. And I think he's already proving it. And, and, to that point Hamp Fay has apparently been getting reps at safety these last few weeks in fall camp
1: that's so big to me, time. that's so big, so big I time. can't
0: breathe <laughs> i absolutely love it i think you need to find out if he can punt um, oh. yeah. <laughs> just to see or maybe his his role could be some type of actual arm punt like they can create a new yes. role, role for him so that like on fourth down he comes in and just throws it as far as he can um and that's the punt but but Hamp Fay probably not looking like or certainly it would be a a tremendous story if he was getting looked at at safety and ended up being starter it would be surprising um Noah Kim is as of uh, logically the next one that could take the job based on class um but Peyton Thorne is a junior right now meaning he has I believe he has two years of eligibility left after this one because of COVID uh but in all likelihood he'll be around he'll be the starter for at least the next two years if you're Noah Kim you're seeing that and you're thinking do I want to stick around as the backup for two more years and maybe get a shot as my um as as a red shirt senior for one year but and if that's what he wants to do by all means like Theo Day stuck around for a long time for the vibes only if Noah Kim wants to do the same thing I'm I'm all for it but in reality if he the staff is probably going to favor a guy like Hauser over him in that scenario, because you look at Hauser again, two years from now, he'll be a redshirt sophomore, three years of potential starting in front of him, highly recruited, picked by them. He's their guy. Like in all likelihood, he's looking like the, the, the next man up unless somebody behind him, Bo Edmond, Bo Edmondson is the name of the, the quarterback that's in the class behind him. He could step up and surprise. Maybe Faye and Kim just turn it on and make it an undeniable, you know, case that they should be the one, but Sitting here today, it's, it's an all likelihood of Caden Hauser uh, affair once Thorn takes yeah. his talents elsewhere.
1: And, but as of next week, you know, he, Noah Kim is one play away. Because Absolutely. he's relying on Hauser to have an entire year to become QB2, right? Yep. That's, that's what the program is looking for. If he can't, he can't. You know, and, and that, that's just it. But Noah Kim, who knows what happens, right? He's a play away. And for now, um, having a guy that's been in the program for a couple of years is is a, is a better option than a true freshman um, it, when you're a play away. So a lot, a lot happened, and obviously um, you feel pretty good about the quarterback position. We feel a lot better than we did a year ago today, where we didn't know who was going to be the quarterback. And I think that's just a testament to Peyton Thorne um, really taking the reins and not just winning the job. But you think about like Kirk Cousins won the job from Keith Nichol they went, they won like six games that year. Like Peyton yeah. won the job and then won eleven games. And I don't think that can be understated. That's incredible. And yes, he had a lot of help, but you know, he won a lot of he did it too. Like he was just as much a part of those wins um with big plays and, and not making mistakes as as the home run hitting runs. So um excited to see his his upperclassman years here.
0: Yeah, it, like you said, you could say that that whole he was just as much a part of it as anybody else. He's the quarterback. Yeah. Like, if he had been bad, that team would have been bad, no matter how good we've sought. Here's all you need to know: the team that had Le'Veon Bell,
1: yep.
0: went six and six, like, yep. <laughs> and yep. won the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl without a quarterback. Exactly. You don't have it. So, a lot of testament to Thorne. Would love to see him take a step forward and hopefully with these guys he's got around him, he'll be able to do it and, you know, keep MSU right in the, in the thick of things until the very end. Um, John, I think that does it for this marathon preview episode.
1: Yeah. Next week, we're going to hit you with a season preview. We'll go game by game and then a Western Michigan primer. And before you know it, the ball is kicked and there you are.
0: Wow. And
1: there you are.
0: It for you, okay, I like what you did. All right, I'm gonna go listen, watch some March Madness videos. Um All right, everybody. For John, this has been Austin. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll catch you next week. Yep.